our fall sermon series, that, that what we're, the passages of Scripture that we're looking at over the next few weeks, we're looking at Romans 12 through Romans 16. And this is a sermon series that we started really last week. And we're calling this sermon series, Remembering the Body. And the, this metaphor of the body really comes into crystal clear focus in today's passage. And we're, today we're looking at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And so this passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is describing the church as the body of Christ. He writes that we are one body, we are one body in Christ, members of one another. And so he's asking a question, what does it look like for the church to live out this life with God? What does it look like for the church to show off and to demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ? And so if you look at the entire book of Romans, the the theme of the book of Romans is that here we are as a people of God, we are undeserving of God's grace and his mercy. That's really the theme, that we are undeserving of God's love. So what does it look like then for us as the church when we live out this mercy of God? What does it look like? What does the church look like when the church lives out the mercies of God? And so it's a very pertinent question because here we see Paul outlining and unpacking what it looks like for the church to be the body of Christ. And so this is relevant to us because we are in a cultural moment, whether it be due to political forces, cultural forces, or pandemic dynamics that have really sought, in many ways, to tear the church apart, to dismember the body. So what does it look like for us to remember the church, to remember the body, to put Humpty Dumpty together again? That's really what Paul is actually asking in Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. So today, as we look at Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, we're specifically considering what it means for us to be a serving body. A serving body. So let's give our careful attention to this book that we love, that this is God's word that's given to you in love and is secured by the blood of Jesus for you. So this is Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your good word that is given to us in love. We pray that your spirit would be taking your word and planting it deep in our hearts so that we would bear the fruits, the 
the truth of this passage in our everyday lives. So Father, bless this time as we consider your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase family responsibilities? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase family responsibilities? As you think about that question and have answers in your mind, where did the laundry fall? Where did doing the dishes or sweeping up the floors? Where did the chores of our everyday lives rank? Now, often when we think about serving within the church, we actually have a chore mentality. Where we think about service within the church and serving one another, we think about this as a chore, where it's not a delight, but a duty. Where we serve one another, and that's not a delight, but a duty. It's an obligation. But, but as we think about service within a church and serving here from Romans, that is really the wrong mentality that we can have. That it actually does not even cross Paul's mind. That is such a wrong mentality because as we think about serving one another and serving within the church, this must be understood within the larger conversation and study of spiritual gifts. When you think about the spiritual gifts, there are actually several places within scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. But the, fundamentally, when we think about spiritual gifts, when God rescues you from your sin, he makes you a part of his family, and he gives you a place. He gives you his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in, within you, and he equips you for the work and within the family. And so this actually challenges us along with the rest of our culture because we are consumers and we live in a consumer culture where we drink this Kool-Aid of consumerism. And consumerism shapes us to think where we can simply take, take, and take. And that's all that is expected of us. But here, when we look at Romans, we're not actually... That's not even there whatsoever, that we are actually called to serve, that where we are called to contribute. Now, sometimes we don't serve because of this chore mentality where it is a duty. Sometimes we do not serve because we are afraid. What if I don't, what if I mess up? What if I don't look good? And But when we think about this, the wonderful reality is that God has created you and he has given you interests. He has given you talents. That the wonderful truth of scripture is that even before the creation of the world, that God had this idea and this idea is you and he has made you. And that there are things that you can do really well because God has made you a certain way. And there's also things that you cannot do well whatsoever because God has made you a certain way. It's good to acknowledge this because we need to think about limits and boundaries in in many ways. But when it comes to the life of the church, the reality is you have a role to play in the body of Christ. You have a role to play in the body of Christ. So how we're going to explore this this morning is is really there's going to be like three big questions, like how do we think of ourselves, how do we think of one another, and what should we do with this? That's really the roadmap for our time together. 
But if you actually want to, just before we get into the outline, but if you want to do a deeper dive into this study of spiritual gifts, there are five places within Scripture that you can look at to learn more about the spiritual gifts. This list that Paul gives us here in Romans is a summary passage. It's not exhaustive by any shape whatsoever. But you can look at 1 Corinthians. Actually, there's two lists in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 12. There's Ephesians 4. There's 1 Peter 4. And then here's Romans 5. So there's, there are Romans 12. There's five passages that talk about the, the spiritual gifts. And so as you look at this list, though, in Romans 12, there is, it can be broken down into two categories. There's words and there's deeds. But as you look at these five sections of Scripture, some of these passages ask and answer different questions. Like, for example, why did God give us spiritual gifts? Romans 12, on the other hand, doesn't even ask that question whatsoever. So the answer to that question, why does God give us spiritual gifts, like Ephesians 4, the answer is that is to is for the good of the church. It's for the glory of God. It's to equip one another to be ministers of the gospel. But here in Romans 12, the emphasis is not on why did God give us, give us these gifts whatsoever. No, the emphasis is let us serve. That is the emphasis, that God gives you a gift to use because God wants you to get into the game. That's what God is after because God wants us to be a healthy community that displays the mercies of God. And we cannot do that, friends. We cannot do that if you are not serving God in the church. So again, to the outline that we're going to be thinking about this morning is number one, how should we think of ourselves? Number two, how should we think of others? Number three, what should we do for these gifts? So here's the first question. How should we think of ourselves? How should you think of ourselves? Paul zooms in on this right away in verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. See, Paul is warning us here not to think of ourselves too highly. Now, this is where we, we may think to ourselves, aren't you lucky to have me? Aren't you lucky to have me? Now, once again, in Romans, the key word in this entire letter, the key word, the keystone word that upon everything hangs is the word mercy. This is really, going back to, to last week's passage in verses 1 through 2, this is the basis for the uh, appeal that Paul makes to us. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. That's Romans 12.1. Friends, we are undeserving of the salvation that God gives us because we are rebels against the king. We are a people that are left without excuse we are a people who have never sought God. And what does God do to us? Rebels. He comes after us. He is a friend of sinners. And he loves us before we can even love him. And so the, as we think about this and just apply this truth of our salvation to our hearts, what do we have to offer God? What do we have to boast in? And what do we have to offer one another? 
what should we boast in, in to one another? The only answer is the grace of God. See, the gospel is the great equalizer, that no one has life with God apart from his love and mercy, and so that's very humbling. And so the danger is that we can actually think too highly of ourselves. But there's also another danger, and the danger is that we can think too low of ourselves. And this is an inferiority complex. That's something that we have considered a few times over the past month when Andrew preached on Philippians 2 or when we think about gentleness from fruit of the Spirit. But this inferiority complex actually flips it around and says to yourself, like, I don't have anything to offer I have nothing to offer. And so what this actually does is actually diminishes the fact that the truth of of how God has made us because every single one of you, friends, is loved by God. Every single one of you is made by God. So we are loved by God. We are made by God. Why would you look down on yourself when you're loved and made by God? That you are important and valuable to him to the point that Jesus... What does Jesus do? That he dies upon the cross to rescue you from your sins. He dies upon the cross to redeem and to transform your life. That he came, he lived, and he died upon the cross for you. Like, I forget what, who wrote it, but you are not a worm. And Jesus did not die for worms, that Jesus died for you. That you are the beloved of God. So do not look down upon yourself. But look within your life and recognize the gospel that he died for you, he lives in you, and he empowers you to be a part of his, his body. And so both of these two mentalities of an overinflated view of self and an, under, um, an inferiority complex, both of these things can kill community. But Paul calls us here to continue verse 3. He calls upon us to think with a to think with sober judgments. He's calling us to actually know ourselves, to be realistic, to have confidence in our abilities and talents. So let's think about it this way. Let's say you're playing soccer. The game is a tie, and there's a shootout. So you have to pick five players to make the kick, and, and seek to score a goal. Now, do you want to pick the kid who showed up to soccer camp with a pair of football cleats? Or do you want to pick the kid who has been playing soccer from the, 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 basically the day he was born? Who would you pick to do that? And if you're wondering, to be honest, I was the kid who showed up to camp with a pair of football cleats. So I guarantee you, you do not want me to take the shot. Ask anyone else to do it. And that's actually the point. We need to have a sober judgment about ourselves. Do you know yourself? Do you know what you're good at? These are some things to consider, and we'll continue to them. We'll think about them in a few moments. But why should we do this? Why should we think of ourselves with a sober-mindedness? This is our next point. It's because we are a part of one another. This is our second question. How should you think of one another? How should you think of one another? This is verses four and five. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We are the one, we are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members of one, one of another. 
See, here Paul is introducing this metaphor of the life of the church by likening the body. He's comparing the body to the, he's comparing the church to a body. It's used in 1 Corinthians. It's used again in Ephesians. And the essential point, the truth that Paul is seeking to put within our hearts and minds is that we are a part of one another. We are a part of one another. Your arms are connected to your torso. Your feet are connected to your legs. Your pinky is connected to your hand and so on. That we are connected to one another. Do we realize this? We are connected to one another. Like, if you, if you just to point this out, Paul is talking about the church being one body. There's another place where, where Paul talks about one body, and it's actually in the context of marriage, how a husband and wife are one body together. We don't have that mindset when we think about the church. We think about the church as a consumable good, something that can easily be exchanged one for another. We don't realize how vitally connected we are to one another. And this is what Wendell Berry was getting at in one of his poems. And I read this a few weeks ago. He writes this, The way we are, we are members of each other. All of us, everything. The difference ain't in who is a member and who is not, but in who knows it and who don't. Do we realize this? And do we care what happens to one another? To continue with this metaphor of the body, what do you do if your back acts up? What do you do if your knee gives out or you sprain your ankle? You may go to physical therapy. You may do some stretching. You may get some rest. But even if you stub your pinky finger, what do you do when you stub your pinky finger? You take some athletic tape and you tape it to your ring finger. You care for your body, but look even how you would do that. When you would injure one part of your body, it's the other part of your body that seeks to care for, your, care for yourself. See, friends, when you have an inflated view of yourself, when, when you think of yourself too highly, which is what Paul is telling us not to, when you think of yourself too highly, then you're actually going to look down on others when you will actually not care for them. But, and even when you, look too, when you think of yourself too lowly, you do not bother to ask for help. You do not, ask, you do not bother to ask for prayer. You don't share your needs with one another. But the thing to realize, is that, friends, is that every single one of you is a member, is a part of one another, and where Paul goes with this is that you have a function to play. And so this body metaphor emphasizes our need for one another. If you drop something on the floor, if you would seriously just right now drop a pen on the floor, I challenge you to pick up that pen without using your thumb. If you, when you're walking, can you actually keep your balance without your, your toe? We need each other. Our bodies, our body is, as a church, is interconnected and in the interdependent of one another. So years ago, two students graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. This is decades ago now. The highest ranking student in the class was a blind man named Overton. And when he received his honor as being the 
as receiving this honor, he insisted that half the credit would go to his friend Kasprizak. There we go. They had met one another in school. And where one, well, was blind and the other actually was armless. That's Mr. Kasprizak. And so what Mr. Kasprizak did, he would guide Mr. Overton up and down the flight of stairs. They would study together in libraries. And this acquaintanceship ripened into a friendship and a beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books which the armless man read aloud in their common study. And thus the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. Friends, this is our lives. And this is the church where we live out the body of Christ's life, this body life of Christ together that we can even serve one another like this. So what's the, what should we do with this? This is our third question. What should you do with these gifts? And this is verses 6 and 7 and 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us. See, at this point, what Paul is pointing out is that God gives every single Christian, every single follower of Christ, a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. Now, these gifts are different than the fruit of the Spirit that you would find in Galatians 5, like the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, and goodness, and more. And like that fruit of the Spirit, every single Christian ought to be known and defined by the fruit of the Spirit. And we're called to grow in it. And sometimes fruit can even be mistaken as a gift. Like, for example... While every Christian should be known for their gentleness, gentleness can also be mistaken as a gift of encouragement. And so God gives us spiritual gifts, and this is different than the spiritual fruits. When we think about spiritual gifts, they are given for the purpose of serving each other, to lift each other up, to equip, to help one another grow in this Christ-like character and service. And these gifts do not only meet the needs of fellow Christians, they meet the needs of everyone in Jesus' name. As we are his witnesses, as we are his ambassadors. And so every Christian is actually in ministry in the church. Every Christian is a minister and not just the pastor. So Tim Keller put it this way in his essay on spiritual gifts, that no one is merely a consumer of services. Everyone is a distributor. And so what we do through serving and using our gifts is that we distribute the grace of God to one another, and that is how we minister. And so here, Paul gives us a brief list of seven spiritual gifts. If you look at all the passages together, there's 15 spiritual gifts, but here are seven. And as I said earlier, they are put under two buckets of word and deed. So let's just think about these briefly. There's the spiritual gifts dealing with the word. That's prophecy. That's teaching and exhortation. And when you think about prophecy, this is commonly misunderstood where prophecy is is primarily thought of as telling the future, but 
biblically, if you look at the, what the prophets did within the entire scripture, the prophets are bringing God's word to bear on that, their exact and current cultural moments. That's the preaching ministry of the church. The pre- preachers declare the word of God with his authority to the people of God. And so the ESV translates the passage as the next following with prophecy in proportion to our faith. And this ought to be understood as the standards of our faith, that the preaching should not contradict God's word and the standards of God's word. And so then another example of the word ministry is in teaching. And teaching is different than preaching. And so preaching, yes, preaching is, a, is an example of teaching, but one can teach in a variety of different examples, whether it be a Bible study, kids' church, there's classes or seminars and, so, and more, but th- those are examples of teaching. Then there's exhortation. Exhortation is the gift of encouragement. Barnabas in the book of Acts is a very famous encourager. He, that's even his nickname. He was the one who went out and sought after the apostle Paul. He invested in him. He mentored him for ministry. When Barnabas and Paul actually had their fight and they split up before the second missionary journey, it's over the fact that Barnabas wanted to encourage someone named John Mark, who, that's where we get the name of the gospel of Mark. John Mark went to be the apostle Peter's secretary, essentially. And so the gift of encouragement is actually from God. It's seen when God's word comes to bear on our situation in a very comforting and pleasant and encouraging way. And so that's like the first bucket of God's word. Then we have deeds. And the list of deeds are leading first, where the gift of leading is actually from the Lord. And leaders are called to lead with zeal. Because leadership, the Apostle Paul knows this, is that leadership is hard and weary. And so God calls us to lead with zeal. That's similar to what he says elsewhere. Do not grow weary in doing good. And then he comes to service. This is the same word as deacon, as diakonos. And so this is the ministry of the church where the body of Christ specifically meets the felt needs of the community. So in the book of Acts, we see widows being overlooked. They're going hungry. There's food poverty. And so God put deacons in place to ensure that felt needs were being met by that the body of Christ was actually meeting the needs of those around them. Then there's the spiritual gift of giving. And here's something to notice. If you look at 1 Corinthians, that all of God's people are called to be givers to, and to give cheerfully. And so we tithe. We give to the Lord's work. But some of you are gifted for generosity. And so what Paul is saying is be generous. If this is your gift, be generous. And so this is analogous to how we're all, every single one of us, are called to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. But some of you are gifted to teach. And so some of you will be able to put that, those lessons learned from the knowledge of the Lord in a very clear and way. And every single one of us are called to share the gospel. But some of you are gifted as evangelists. And then lastly, the last need is mercy. And these are acts of kindness. These are acts of justice where we can do justice and display the compassion of Jesus to others. 
So here we have Paul listing just seven spiritual gifts. But why does he do this? What should you do with them? That's what he wants you to do. Going back to verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes into the list. Verse 6 says, let us use them. God wants you to use your spiritual gifts. God wants you to get in the game. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. How do you learn what your spiritual gifts are? What, like we ask this because perhaps you may not know what your spiritual gifts are. And that's a very reasonable question because they're gifts. When you think about a gift and when we give gifts to one another, often they come wrapped. And so you, there's a little guessing game. Do you play this on Christmas? You take the present and you shake it. It's like, what is it? The point is these are gifts and they're from the Lord. And so Paul is actually calling us to know ourselves, to know our story. That's the sober judgment that he mentions earlier. But so one of the challenges with this could actually be a lack of self-knowledge, where you don't know your story, you don't know yourself. And so we live in a culture that actually does not encourage self-knowledge, where we rush through life very quickly and we hustle and we hurry. So there's a lot of things out there like personality tests from Myers-Briggs to the Enneagram Disc, Strength Finders. Those can actually be very help, helpful tools to help you know yourself. They can also be helpful tools to help you empathize with others. But the danger is, is that they can just put you in a box. And so if you're thinking about yourself like, well, hey, I'm an extrovert. I don't do quiet. I don't be still. That's putting yourself in a box. And frankly, there's this, there are actually spiritual gift inventories that can help you. And if you like one, I'll give one to you. But as you think about this, there's actually something else that needs to be said as you think about learning yourself and knowing your own story and having this sober judgment. There's actually three things. There's a constellation of three things. But one of the... But, this is also where we need to lean into community. What do people say about you? What do people say you're good at? What do you people say that you should do? And so as you think about, what, about community, also think about this. There's a constellation of three things that can also help you here. Like number one, as I just mentioned, it is ability. What are you good at? Number two is affinity. What do you enjoy doing? And number three is opportunity. What are the needs in your communi community? What are the needs around you? And as you think about these three things, the most important is not ability or affinity. The most important is opportunities. There are needs around you, but do we see those needs? Do we have the eyes to see that? And first off, as a, just to begin wrapping things up about service, I believe this is a strength of our church. And, and when you know there's a need, you jump at it. If someone needs help moving, there's people there willing to help move. If someone needs a truck to help move things, there are trucks. When people need a meal, there are meals. And so I just want to say thank you. Don't stop in doing good. This is a strength. So let me also speak to children here. 
that I, this is a church, I want, like, I want to say this to children, that I want this to be your church and not just your parents' church. That God has made you and he has made you to be a contributor. So look around. What is something that you can do to help out? Earlier today, there is a child helping get communion ready. There is another uh, youth that was helping get, arrange some other rooms around here. But like another example is that middle schoolers could help with the slides or up in the nursery. And the point is, friends, as we think about this, we are not skilled at everything. We cannot do everything. The only person who actually has every spiritual gift is Jesus Christ. And when one of when we each serve, when we play our strengths and use our and fill the function that God has designed for us, what do we do in the church? We show off God. We show off Jesus' glory to others. And that is the point, that we are the body of Christ. We're here to make him known. We're not here to make ourselves known, but we're here to make him known. So let's use our spiritual gifts. Let's encourage one another. Let's exhort one another. Let's get in the game and, and serve. Let's pray.